Wise guys, these guys know sports here live on the Worldwide Sports Network on this Friday, January the 5th. In the house with your boy Trey Lark is on the Wise Guys Sports Show. It is officially the first show for Wise Guys Sports in 2024. Come on in and sit a while, folks. We got an action jam packed show, so many things to discuss. In the NFL, it's week 18 in the NFL. So many playoff scenarios, some big-time matchups in the NFL. We got a battle down in South Beach between Josh Allen and Tua Tagovailoa. Buffalo, Miami, winner wins the AFC East and in Green Bay. Justin Fields versus Jordan Love, Bears, Packers, Oldest rivalry in the NFL on Sunday afternoon in Green Bay. Packers win. They punch their ticket to the postseason. And the Philadelphia Eagles, they've been struggling. So I'm going to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles and their struggles as well. And also, I'm going to give my last, last wise picks of the year. The last wise picks of the year segment will take place. Later on in the show, of course, I'll give my predictions for the playoffs, but it'll be my last wise picks for the 2023-2024 season. So be sure to tune in for that. Also, I'm going to talk about Lamar Jackson and why he is the odds-on favorite in my eyes to win NFL MVP. So an action jam-packed show. The number to dial is 513-203-8655. 513-203-8655 is the number to dial. Any particular topic you want to discuss, you can call in and we can talk about it on the show this afternoon. And also, don't forget, it is the College Football National Championship Monday night in Houston. It's the Washington Huskies versus the Michigan Wolverines. I'm going to talk about that also later on in the show. I'm going to break down a little bit of the Michigan win over the Alabama Crimson Tide. And I'm going to talk about Michael Penix and the Washington Huskies, their win over the Texas Longhorns as well. So be sure to tune in for that. And the number to dial, 513-203-8655, 513-203-8655. We begin in the NFL in the AFC East. As we got a battle between the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins as the 10-6 Buffalo Bills are favored and traveling to Miami to take on the 11-5 Miami Dolphins 
The Bills are favored by two and a half points. It's an 8.20 p.m. kickoff on NBC. The over-under for this matchup is 48.5. Remember, these two teams faced off against each other in week four. The Buffalo Bills beat the Miami Dolphins 48-20 in Buffalo. But that game didn't have as much stakes as this game. It's so many different playoff scenarios for these two teams. Let's start off with the Buffalo Bills. The Bills literally could be the number two seed in the AFC with a win, or or the Buffalo Bills could completely fall out of the playoff picture altogether if they lose, and I believe if the Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Baltimore Ravens Saturday afternoon in Baltimore. So this game is huge for the Buffalo Bills. Buffalo could be the number two seed in the AFC hosting a home playoff game on wild card weekend, or they could be completely out of the playoff mix altogether if they lose. Now for the Miami Dolphins, the Miami Dolphins, they are a lot to beat in the playoffs, but they could be the two seed in the AFC, or they could drop down to the sixth seed and have to go on the roll on Wild Card Weekend. And if you're the sixth seed, I believe Miami would play the Kansas City Chiefs. I think the Chiefs are locked in as the three seed in the AFC. So, so, so many different playoff scenarios for the Buffalo Bills and for the Miami Dolphins as we head into this big-time matchup. So, as I look at this game between these two teams, let's start off with the Buffalo Bills. Obviously, the Buffalo Bills, they're led by Josh Allen. For the season, Josh Allen, he has 27 touchdowns, 16 interceptions, 3,947 passing yards. He's completing 66% of his passes. But when I look at the Buffalo Bills offensively, over the last few weeks, the Buffalo Bills' success has not just been about Josh Allen. It's also been about that great running game that the Buffalo Bills have established over the last few weeks. Last week against the New England Patriots, the Bills, they had 127 rushing yards for the game. And the player who I consider the X factor in this Bills offense, it's not Stephon Diggs. It's not Gabe Davis. It's James Cook. He is the brother of Dalvin Cook. James Cook has been the X factor for the Buffalo Bills while they've went on this run in the second half of the season. And he's been the driving force for this Buffalo Bills offense. And I believe that's what makes the Buffalo Bills scary as we get into the playoffs. It makes them a dangerous football team. Because in years past, one of the issues that I had with the Buffalo Bills it was always the fact that it was Josh Allen or Bust. They never really had a reliable running game to depend on if Josh Allen had an off game. And that was my biggest issue with the Buffalo Bills. They didn't have a running game to speak of. And honestly, Josh Allen was their leader in rushing yards in previous years. There were games literally where Josh Allen 
led the Buffalo Bills in rushing yards. In rushing yards. And so I thought they made a mistake at the trading deadline, not trading for an all-star running back like uh, Derrick Henry. Could you imagine all-pro running back Derrick Henry in this Bills offense? I thought they made a mistake. But James Cook has emerged as a reliable option in this Bills offense, and they have ran the ball very, very effective over the last few weeks. Against the Patriots, they had 127 rushing yards. Against the Chargers, they had 105 rushing yards. Against the Dallas Cowboys in week 15, they had 266 rushing yards. Remember against the Dallas Cowboys in that week 15 game, Josh Allen literally only had 94 passing yards. 94 passing yards. And the Bills blew out the Cowboys 31 to 10. There was never a time in the last three years when you watched a Buffalo Bills game and they blew out an opposing team and Josh Allen would ever have under 200 passing yards, let alone under 100 passing yards. Think about that for a second. And that Week 15 game against the Dallas Cowboys, the Buffalo Bills rushed the football for 266 yards. And Josh Allen only had 94 passing yards. So it has been obvious and it's been by data and clear that the Buffalo Bills are a better football team when they run the football effectively. So that's something that you got to keep in mind. Now, let's look at Josh Allen versus McDaniels, Miami Dolphins. This is including in the playoffs. This is since Mike McDaniel has taken over as the head coach. In Miami, Josh Allen, he's 3-1 and one against the Dolphins since Mike McDaniel's been their head coach. He has 14 total touchdowns, only two interceptions. He has 384 yards per game, and his passer rating is 112.8. So Josh Allen has had a lot of success against these Mike McDaniel Miami Dolphins. He's had a lot of success. Now, last year in the playoff matchup against Skylar Thompson, the Buffalo Bills did struggle last year when they went up against the Miami Dolphins. They did. They, they definitely struggled. But for the most part, Josh Allen has had success against Mike McDaniel. And he averages 384 total yards per game against Mike McDaniel. That's the second most by any quarterback versus single coach. Minimal four games played. So Josh Allen has success against that Miami Dolphins football team, and specifically Mike McDaniels, since he's been their head coach. Now, the best receiver for the Buffalo Bills is Stephon Diggs. But you look at Stephon Diggs and his receiving numbers this year, and in the, over the last four weeks, they haven't really had Diggs involved in the offense. Yards per game. In the first 12 games, Stephon Diggs was averaging 81 yards per game. Last four games, he's only averaging 32 yards per game. In the first 12 games, Stephon Diggs' yards per target was 8.0. In the last four games, yards per target is 4.1.
his reception percentage in the first 12 games was 69%. In the last four games, it was 55%. And his yards per game, that 32, is the fewest in a four-game span since 2015. So they got to get Stephon Diggs more involved in this offense. They got to get him more involved in the offense. Now, the thing is, again, they're running the football so effective. That's why Stephon Diggs has, in a way, been kind of forgotten about. But you understand his significance to this team. Now, let's talk about the Miami Dolphins. Obviously, the Miami Dolphins are led by Tua Tagovailoa. So far this season, you look at Tua Tagovailoa's numbers, Tua has 28 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, 4,451 passing yards. He's completing 70% of his passes. Those 28 touchdown passes, those are the most touchdown passes Tua has had so far in his career. But the biggest issue right now with the Miami Dolphins is they're dealing with a lot of nagging injuries, a lot of injuries to key players on their offense. Tua Tagovailoa is dealing with a shoulder injury. Raheem Mozart is dealing with a knee and an ankle injury. Jalen Waddle also is dealing with the ankle injury. Tyreek Hill was also injured last week when they went up against the Baltimore Ravens. Okay, even defensively, they're dealing with injuries. They just lost Bradley Chubb to a season-ending torn ACL. They also are dealing with a foot injury with Xavier Howard, their cornerback. So the Miami Dolphins are banged up. But this is the thing about the Miami Dolphins. Despite their injuries, let's be real. The Miami Dolphins are one of those football teams. They are front runners, okay? They are not real contenders. They are pretenders. And the data backs it up. You look at the Miami Dolphins this year. This was before the beatdown that took place in Baltimore. Because we know in week 17, the Baltimore Ravens beat down the Miami Dolphins 56-19. to But this was even before that. This is the Miami Dolphins this season. Against winning teams, they're 1-3. Against losing teams, they're 10-1. Against winning teams, they average 18 points per game. Against losing teams, they average 36 points per game. Against winning teams, their total yards per game are 326. Against losing teams, they average 443 yards per game. Against winning teams, their point differential is minus 47. Versus losing teams, their point differential is plus 196. So the thing with the Miami Dolphins is when they go up against elite competition, in the NFL, they usually, usually get blown off the field. And the one time this year against an elite team, the Miami Dolphins only scored 22 points against the Dallas Cowboys in week 16. I'm looking at some of these games this year. You look at the Miami Dolphins. Look at some of their games this year. Against the Buffalo Bills in week four, they got blew out 48 to 20. Against the Philadelphia Eagles in week seven, they got beat 31 to 17. 
against the Chiefs in week nine. They didn't get blew out, but they still lost 21 to 14. Against the Ravens in week 17, 56 to 19. So when they go up against elite competition, they normally get blown off the field, which tells me they are not contenders. They are pretenders. And the Miami Dolphins could be a first-round exit in the AFC. They could be. Now, we know offensively they got talent. And when you got Tyreek Hill, you got Jalen Waddle at receiver, and you got Mike McDaniel calling plays, the Miami Dolphins offense can put up points. But when they're on the road, that's another thing, too. When they're on the road, they don't play as well on the road compared to how great they play in South Beach. And this is the thing. They win games in Miami. But you could make a legitimate argument that the reason why the Miami Dolphins win games at home is because the opposing team is distracted when they're in Miami. Let's call a spade a spade. When these opposing teams go down to Miami and they're playing the Miami Dolphins, dare I say, the night before, some players and even some coaches could be distracted. And that's the reason why the Miami Dolphins have played so well at home this season. But I, I don't look at the Miami Dolphins as a legit Super Bowl contender. They're playoff contenders, and they'll make the playoffs, but there are teams that are wildcard teams that I think could beat the Miami Dolphins. That includes the Buffalo Bills if they met again in the playoffs. I think the Cleveland Browns could beat the Miami Dolphins as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm not a believer in the... Miami Dolphins, but this is going to be a big game. I believe that it's a big-time matchup. It's going to be on Sunday night football. It's the last game of the regular season, but with all that being said, I'm rolling with the Buffalo Bills to beat the Miami Dolphins in Miami. I'm going Bills 28, Dolphins 17. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. I'll be right back. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports. Here live on the World Wide Sports Network. Everybody remember to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Make sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. The number to dial is 513-203-8655. 513-203-8655. That is the number to dial. Any particular topic you want to discuss. We can talk about it on the show this afternoon. And remember, later on the show, I'm going to give my Week 18 wise picks for Week 18 in the NFL. The last week of the regular season, it is here. The playoffs are right around the corner. Let's transition and let's go to a battle in the NFC North. It's the oldest rivalry in the NFL it's the 79 Chicago Bears traveling to Green Bay to take on the 8-8 eight and eight Green Bay Packers. The Packers are favored by three points. 
It's a 425 p.m. kickoff on CBS. The over-under for this matchup is 45.5. And I'm going to get to the Packers here in a bit. As you can see, I couldn't help myself, y'all. I could not help myself. I had to put on my Packers gear. I know folks are going to say, what is he doing? They're not even in the playoffs yet. I can't help myself. I just can't. I'm so excited because after you lose a franchise quarterback, an all-time great like an Aaron Rodgers, you don't expect your team to be in a position to make the playoffs immediately the year after. So I'm going to talk about the Packers side of things here in a second. But let's start off with the Chicago Bears and the big talk right now in Chicago is, is everybody in the Windy City is talking about whether or not the Bears should keep Justin Fields or should they move up in the draft or draft a quarterback? Do you want to draft a Caleb Williams or a Drake May or even a Michael Penix? Who should be the Bears starting quarterback next season? Should it be Justin Fields or should it be one of those quarterbacks who's going to be in the draft this upcoming season? And that's the biggest question right now in Chicago. And so for me, when I think about the Chicago Bears, obviously they are the rivalries of my Green Bay Packers, even though they rarely beat the Packers. They haven't beaten the Packers yet in the Matt LaFleur era, but from a football standpoint, if I'm really breaking down whether or not the Bears should keep Justin Fields, to me, I believe that the Chicago Bears should name Justin Fields their starting quarterback for future seasons to come, and he should be the quarterback they build their franchise around. I look at Justin Fields, and I look at Justin Fields as a quarterback who has a ton of talent. Now, the numbers may not back it up. Look at Justin Fields since he's been in the NFL. Justin Fields. Because, and, and, and I'm, not, I'm not bringing up Justin Fields' stats just for the 2023 season. I'm bringing up his entire stats since he's been in the NFL, because this is the thing. No matter the outcome of this football game, the Packers are, their fate is going to be determined basically by what happens over the next few weeks from this game. The Chicago Bears' fate is going to be determined from this game what happens over the next few years. You see the difference in those? The, the Packers, their fate is going to be determined for the next few weeks. Whether they're going home or it's one, two, three, can home for them to go home or they're going to the playoffs, the Bears, on the other hand, their fate is going to be determined for future seasons to come. And that's why I want to bring up Justin Fields' statistics since he's been in the NFL. For his career, Justin Fields, 40 touchdowns, 30 interceptions, 6,000. 526 passing yards. He's completed 
60% of his passes. But his numbers may not wow you. He may not give you the statistical numbers like a Brock Purdy or like a Tua Tagovailoa or like a Dak Prescott. But the thing with Justin Fields is the talent is undeniable. It's undeniable. I watch these games, and there's something called the eye test. And when I look at Bears games, I see talent. I see talent in Justin Fields. Again, is he the most accurate thrower of the football? He's not. But I believe that Justin Fields has talent. But since he's been the quarterback for the Chicago Bears, because next season he'll be heading into his fourth season in the NFL. But the one question that I would ask Chicago Bears fans and the Bears organization for that matter, the one question I would ask is what support system have the Bears organization put around Justin Fields? What support system does he have? I look at other quarterbacks in the NFL in their first one or two years starting who are having success, and I'm looking at the support system around these particular quarterbacks. Let's look at even Jordan Love. Jordan Love is being coached by an offensive-minded head coach in Matt LaFleur. Not only that, the Packers have put talent around Jordan Love. They have talent around Jordan Love. And again, you look at the Bears, their receivers, outside of DJ Moore, what reliable receiver does Justin Fields have around him? Can anybody name one? Name a, a, name a Chicago Bears receiver besides DJ Moore. You probably wouldn't know any of them. Now look at the Packers receivers. Look at what they've put around Jordan Love. Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Jalen Reed, Wicks, Bo Melton. You look at his tight ends. Tucker Craft, okay, Luke Musgrave. In the running back position, you got Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. So the number one question I would ask the Bears organization and Bears fans is what support system have the Bears organization put around Justin Fields to succeed? And even from a head coaching standpoint, you had Matt Nagy. Matt Nagy was their head coach before they brought in Eberflus. Eberflus is not an offensive-minded head coach. And in order to be a, a successful young quarterback in the NFL, you need to have an offensive-minded head coach. Look at the Pittsburgh Steelers. I love Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin is one of the greatest coaches in NFL history. When you talk about best coaches in the NFL, you think about Bill Belichick. You think about Sean Payton. You think about Pete Carroll. You think about Andy Reid. Mike Tomlin deserves to be in that conversation. But why have the Pittsburgh Steelers struggled to be contenders in the AFC? 
because they can't develop a quarterback. They haven't had a quarterback since Ben Roethlisberger. Why? Because Mike Tomlin, as great as he is, he's a defensive-minded head coach. It's defense first with Mike T. And so I feel like in order for Justin Fields to succeed in Chicago, the Chicago Bears organization, they don't need to go out and draft Justin Fields' replacement. They need to go out and hire the right head coach who can lead Justin Fields for future seasons to come and lead the Chicago Bears team from an offensive standpoint. It's an offensive league. It's an offensive league. But Justin Fields has a great, great opportunity in front of him because he can literally, literally put it in to two things Sunday afternoon with a great performance against the Packers in a win. He can put it in to the Packers season, and he can put it in to this, we need to draft a replacement for Fields and build around a quarterback in the draft talk. He can put it into both of those things and solidify himself as being the future franchise quarterback for the Chicago Bears for future seasons to come. And lately, he's been playing well. This entire Chicago Bears football team has been playing well. And honestly, as a Packers fan, it's scaring the hell out of me the closer we get to kickoff. It's, it's scaring me. It's scaring me. I'm, just, I'm looking at the Bears over the last few weeks. They blew out the Falcons in week 17, 37 to 17. They beat Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals in week 16, 27 to 16. They beat the Detroit Lions in week 14, 28 to 13. Okay? In week 12, they beat Minnesota 12 to 10. But over the last few weeks and in the second half of the season, Chicago Bears have been playing some great football. They really, really have. And offensively, they got the second-best rushing attack in the NFL. They averaged 145 rushing yards per game. That would happen to be because of Justin Fields, okay? Now, defensively, I feel like they've been playing better defense as well in the second half of the season. Remember, they traded for Montez Sweat as well. He is the right defensive end, and he's done a tremendous job at applying pressure on opposing teams' quarterbacks. And now, defensively, the Bears have the best run defense in the NFL. They only give up 84 rushing yards per game. So, yeah, as we get closer to kickoff, it, I'm getting more and more nervous the more I look at this matchup. Now let's switch to the other side. Let's talk about my quarterback, Jordan Love, and how Jordan Love has had a resurgence in the second half of the season. You look at Jordan Love and his numbers for the season so far. Jordan Love, 30 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, 3,843 passing yards. He's completing 63% of his passes. I remember there was a time midway through the season when Packer Nation and general manager Brian Gutekus, we had our doubts 
about Jordan Love. And a specific game that comes to mind for me was the matchup against the Vikings in week eight. In week eight, the Vikings beat the Packers at Lambeau Field 24-10. And Jordan Love, he struggled in that game. He had one interception. His pass rating was only 72. And so after that, we heard Brian Gutekus, the general manager for the Packers, he came out and literally said the next 10 weeks for Jordan Love is going to be important. And it's going to determine whether or not he is going to be the franchise quarterback moving forward. And ever since then, Jordan Love has answered, answered the call in a big, big way. You look at Jordan Love's numbers since week 11, right? This is since week 11. Jordan Love, 16 passing touchdowns. That's ranked first in the NFL. Only one interception. His PFF grade is 88.8. And I'm looking at Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers. Their numbers in their first season starting quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, right? This is Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers' first season as a starter in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers, he went 6-10. He had 28 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. He completed 64% of his passes. His passer rating was 94. But remember, Aaron Rodgers, when he took over as a starter in Green Bay, the Packers receivers were already established. He had Jordy Nelson. He had Greg Jennings. He had James Jones. Those were the same receivers who helped Brett Favre play at a high level. So Aaron Rodgers had the benefit of having a supporting cast that had already proven themselves. Let's look at Jordan Love's numbers this year. 30 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. He's completing 63% of his passes. His pass rating is 94 as well. He has an 8-8 record. But the difference between Aaron Rodgers and his first year as a starter and Jordan Love is Jordan Love's receivers, they haven't proven anything. Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Jaden Reed, Wicks, they haven't proven anything. So not only is Jordan Love gaining experience as the first-year starter, he's also playing with receivers who haven't proven anything. And so they're all learning on the fly. So I believe, honestly, as crazy as it sounds, Jordan Love's first year as a starting quarterback in the NFL has been more impressive than Aaron Rodgers' first year starting in the NFL back in 2008. And so I'm excited for Jordan Love because Jordan Love is going to get an opportunity to do something that his predecessor wasn't able to do last year in this exact game on this exact field at Lambeau Field. Remember last year, Week 18, Packers had the same exact scenario when you're in at Lambeau and the Detroit Lions roll into Green Bay and beat the Green Bay Packers 
and eliminated the Packers from playoff contention. And it was the last game of Aaron Rodgers' career in Green Bay. So I'm excited for Jordan Love because he gets an opportunity to write his own script and do something that his predecessor in Aaron Rodgers couldn't even do last year. But this game is going to be interesting. Um, the Packers do have some injuries that they're currently dealing with. But I, I believe that Christian Watson will play Sunday. He's questionable on the injury report. Elton Jenkins is questionable. Jaden Reed is questionable. Wicks is also questionable. But I expect Wicks and Reed to play for sure. Elton Jenkins is probably also going to play. The question mark is going to be Christian Watson. He's going to be the biggest question mark. Because if he can play, he's going to help this offense play at an elite level. And they're going to need him. Because this Bears defense, they've been a very, very opportunistic group so far in the second half of the season. They really, really have. So it's going to be a big game for the Packers. They are the youngest team in the NFL. And um, the experience that they would gain going to the playoffs is like none other. So, yes, I had to wear my Packers gear here on Wise Guy Sports on the Worldwide Sports Network. And with that being said, I'm rolling with Jordan Love and the Green Bay Packers to beat Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears and punch their ticket to the postseason. I'm going Jordan Love, 31, Justin Fields, 21. Go, Pack, go. We head to the playoffs, baby. We'll see y'all in the postseason. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. I'll be right back. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. What's going on? Uh, welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports here live on the World Wide Sports Network. Everybody remember going to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Let's transition and let's go to college football and let's talk about the college football matchup that took place in california in the rose bowl the michigan wolverines beat the alabama crimson tide 27 to 20 for alabama jalen milrow for the game he went 16 of 23 he threw for 116 passing yards for michigan jj mccarthy he threw for 221 passing yards, went 17 of 27. He had three touchdowns for the game. So, my biggest takeaway from the Wolverines 27 to 20 win over the Crimson Tide is I thought this was a game that the Clemson Tide lost more than the Michigan Wolverines won it. I watched this game start to finish New Year's Day, and 
I'm not taking nothing away from Michigan because Michigan, they are 14 and 0 on the season. They've had a tremendous, tremendous season. And their 14 wins this year. They tied the 2014 Ohio State Buckeyes, the 2002 Ohio State Buckeyes, and the 1903 Minnesota Gophers, I believe, for the most wins in Big Ten history. Those 14 wins for the Michigan Wolverines. The Michigan Wolverines have been great all season. And I'm not taking nothing away from the Michigan Wolverines. But in my eyes, I felt like the Alabama Crimson Tide lost this game more than the Michigan Wolverines won this game. Now, in the first half, to me, the Alabama, the Crimson Tide, they couldn't get anything going. But they were still in the game. You look at the halftime score, it was only 13 to 10. But at halftime, Michigan, they were dominating Alabama in major statistical categories. Like, there was a lot of categories where Michigan, they were outplaying Alabama. But the score was only 13-10. So, even though Alabama was getting beat in the statistics category on the scoreboard, the game was only a three-point game at halftime. They were in the game. And so the third quarter, neither team scored, obviously. But in the fourth quarter, I thought Alabama, they, they scored a touchdown at the beginning of the quarter. And so at that point, Alabama had went up 17 to 13. And so I'm thinking, okay, they got a shot here. Like, as great of a season Michigan has had, I felt like at that point when Alabama was up 17 to 13, I felt like, okay, Michigan, there's some pressure on Michigan here. Like, they have to put together a drive and, 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 and score so they can try to get back in this game. And they, the Alabama, they kicked the field goal with a little under five minutes left. So then they took a 20 to 13 lead. And so I'm thinking, here we go. Because now all the pressure is on the Michigan Wolverines. All the pressure is on the Michigan Wolverines. Remember, Alabama is not even supposed to be here. Think about that for a second. Alabama is not even supposed to be in the Rose Bowl competing for a chance to go to the national championship. So I'm thinking with under five minutes left in the fourth quarter, I'm thinking to myself, what you going to do, Jim Harbaugh? What you going to do, J.J. McCarthy? And J.J. McCarthy and the Michigan Wolverines, they put together a drive under in the fourth quarter on, the last, on that last possession in the fourth quarter. They put together a great drive. It was, it was a tremendous drive and a drive that they desperately, desperately needed to, to get back into to the game because the game was hanging in the balance at that point. It really, really was. And I thought, like, okay, the play of the game to me, though, was the fourth down. Remember, it was fourth and two, and the Wolverines, this is pretty much win or go home at this moment. Somehow, I don't understand how, for the life of me, the Crimson Tide, they allowed Blake Corum to leak out of the backfield, and he got into the flat. McCarthy completes a pass to Corum, 
he goes up the sideline for about 25 yards for the Wolverines. The biggest play of the game for me. It was the biggest play of the game because if you stop the Wolverines, it's a great chance and a great possibility the Alabama Crimson Tide are going to win this football game. And so I thought that was the biggest play of the game. But uh, for me, with all that, with all that being said, and all those things happening, the craziest thing for me is in overtime, I got a lot of respect for Nick Saban, okay? I feel like we look at Nick Saban. Obviously, Nick Saban is a seven-time national champion. He's won 11, 11 SEC titles. He's arguably the greatest coach in college football history. But the play call to have Jalen Milroe to go up the middle on the biggest play of the game that determines your season, it might be the worst play call in the history in Nick Saban's career. It might be the worst play call of his career. Like, I thought that was a terrible, terrible play call. And Michigan, to their credit, sniffed it right out. They sniffed it right out. I don't understand why you would run that play in that moment. It made no sense. It made no sense to me. I gave Nick Saban a lot of credit going into this matchup. To have the Crimson Tide at 12-1 and and have them in a position with this Alabama Crimson Tide football team to get to a national championship, this was arguably, arguably Nick Saban's greatest coaching performance so far in his career. Seriously, this Alabama football team not as good in 2023 like they have been in previous years. And so I felt like this was a tremendous, tremendous coaching job done by Nick Saban. But that was a terrible play call. I didn't like that play call whatsoever. I would have allowed Milro to, to be in shotgun, and I would have took my chances throwing the football. I'm not, I'm not running up the middle from the four-yard line with, with the game on the line. Made no sense to me. But give the Michigan Wolverines credit. They made plays when they needed to make plays. The Michigan Wolverines, this is going to be their first national championship game appearance in the BCS CFP era since 1998. So give them credit. They, they, they played a great game, and I thought they did a tremendous job at making key plays at key moments. Now, there were times where I thought Alabama was going to win this game, but every time a play needed to be made, Michigan stepped up and made that play. And they made the biggest plays of the game. Now, Blake Corum, the running back for the Wolverines, he had 19 carries for 83 rushing yards. I thought he was a key for the Wolverines. Roman Wilson, he had the four receptions for 73 receiving yards, one touchdown. He had the touchdown that, that tied the game up in regulation, that sent the game to overtime. So they're, they're, the, the Michigan Wolverines players made key plays when they had to, but I thought this was a game that Alabama, in a way, allowed to get away from them. They could have they could have won this football game, and been in the national championship, and a season where the Alabama Crimson Tide football team is not as good this year, and I thought they could have stole one in the Rose Bowl for sure.
and they let it slip out of their hand. But shout out to Jim Harbaugh. Shout out to Jim Harbaugh, man. I'm, I'm so happy for Jim Harbaugh. Like, Jim Harbaugh is one of the best coaches, not only in college football, but in pro sports overall. Jim Harbaugh is a great, great coach. Jim Harbaugh, since he's been at Michigan, his overall record is 88 and 25. And so he's done a tremendous job at winning big games when he needed to. He's won 78% of his games since he's been the head coach of the Michigan Wolverines. And I really like the fact that after the game, there was a moment where the reporter, she was trying to ask Jim Harbaugh questions, and Blake Corum was, was standing right next to him. And she was trying to talk to Harbaugh, but Harbaugh noticed and basically allowed Blake Corum to have his moment. And so, like, he did, he, she asked Harbaugh a question. Harbaugh spoke for maybe 10 or 15 seconds, and he said, ask this guy. He's the reason why we won. And he allowed the spotlight to be on Blake Corum, not on himself. And we know college football, it's all about the coaches. It's all about, in, in college football, it's all about the big-time coaches. And that's, that's how it is overall in college sports. It's about the Nick Sabans of the world. It's about the Jim Harbaugh's of the world. It's about the Kirby Smarts of the world. And so for him to give Blake Corum his moment in the post-game interview, I thought that said a lot about Jim Harbaugh as a head coach. And he has a decision to make at the end of the season. Because there's some NFL teams that's going to line up for his services. So Jim Harbaugh has a, a major de decision to make, and it's a great possibility he could be on his way back to the NFL. And we remember in the NFL when he coached, he led the 49ers to a Super Bowl appearance. So shout out to Jim Harbaugh. Shout out to the Michigan Wolverines for punching their ticket to the national championship game. It's going to be played Monday in Houston. Everybody go follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. I'll be right back. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports. Here live on the World Wise Sports Network. Everybody remember going to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Let's transition back to some college football. And let's talk about the other matchup in college football as the Washington Huskies beat the Texas Longhorns 37 to 31 for the Longhorns. Yours, the quarterback, he went 24-43. He threw for 318 passing yards, one touchdown for the Huskies. Michael Penix, he went 29 of 38. He threw for 430 passing yards. And he had two touchdowns. So my biggest takeaway from the Huskies, 37 
to 31 win over the Longhorns is the Heisman Trophy went to the wrong player this year. With all due respect to Jaden Daniels, the previous quarterback for the LSU Tigers, Michael Penix Jr. deserved the Heisman Trophy. I believe that he is not only the best player on the Washington Huskies football team, but he is the best player in college football, folks. He had a sensational performance. You look at what Michael Penix was able to do. This is, he had the fourth most passing yards in a college football playoff game. Only Joe Burrow, Mac Jones, and Joe Burrow did it twice. Joe Burrow had 493 passing yards against Oklahoma, and he had 463 passing yards against Clemson, and then Mac Jones had 464 against Ohio State. Only Mac Jones and Joe Burrow twice had more passing yards in a college football playoff game than Michael Penix. This dude is the real deal. And whichever team decides to draft Michael Penix in the NFL draft, they have a franchise quarterback who they can build their team around for future seasons to come. He is the real deal. Seriously. He's playing some sensational football, and he is their offense. I mean, I'm looking at this Huskies offense and looking at how they flow and how they run. They run. They had 102 rushing yards. But majority of their offense is Michael Penix. The way he's able to deliver the football, I don't think we've seen a quarterback have his kind of accuracy since Joe Burrow. Seriously, the performance that he had, Monday against the Texas Longhorns, it reminded me of the run that Joe Burrow had when LSU won their championship back in 2019, I believe. It reminded me of that season. So Michael Penix is doing some tremendous things. And again, no disrespect to Jaden Daniels, but Michael Penix should have been the Heisman Trophy winner. And... With Michael Penix as your quarterback, the Washington Huskies can beat anybody. They can beat anybody. You look at the Texas Longhorns defense. For the season, the Texas Longhorns defensively, they gave up, this is per game, they gave up 241 yards per game for the entire season. Michael Penix and the Washington Huskies offensively they had 255 total yards of offense in the first half against that Longhorns defense. So he was able to move the football up and down against a pretty good Longhorns defense. For the game, the Huskies had 532 total yards of offense, and they had 430 passing yards. But I, I, I felt like this game was won for Washington late in the game on those two drives when they kicked those two field goals because this game was nip and tuck majority of the way. Now, Washington had the lead. I'm sorry. It was tied at half. At halftime, it was 21-21.
Washington took the lead in the third quarter. They took a 31 to 21 lead into the fourth quarter. But those two field goals were the difference. But honestly, I did. I thought that on that last drive, I thought that Quinn Ears was going to get the Longhorns into the end zone. I thought when they got inside the 20, I'm like, they may score and win this game and leave Michael Penix no time left on the clock. But um, shout out to Michael Penix, man. He's the real deal as, as a quarterback. I, I can't say enough about him. He's a tremendous, tremendous college football player, and he's going to definitely, definitely excel at the next level. Big-time performance from Michael Penix. And Washington, they'll be in the national championship game against the Michigan Wolverines. So that defense by the Michigan Wolverines going up against this elite Washington Huskies offense, that's, the, that's going to be a key matchup in the national championship game. We know Jim Harbaugh is known for his defense. So what can he scheme up to try to contain Michael Penix? But shout-out to the Washington Huskies and shout-out to Michael Penix for punching their ticket to the national championship game that will be played in Houston Monday night. It's the number two seed, Washington Huskies, versus the number one seed, Michigan Wolverines, for the national championship. Excited for that matchup. Everybody go follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. I'll be right back. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports here live on the World Wise Sports Network. Everybody remember going to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Let's transition. And I want to talk about Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens here for a minute. The Baltimore Ravens beat the Miami Dolphins. 56 to 19. And so watching this matchup, for me, my biggest takeaway is Lamar Jackson is the NFL MVP. And coming into the season, I chose Lamar Jackson as the player who I felt like was going to win NFL MVP. And Lamar Jackson has been balling over the last two weeks for the Baltimore Ravens. And he's been playing some great football. You look at his numbers in this matchup. Lamar Jackson, he goes 18 of 21. He throws for 321 passing yards, five touchdowns, zero interceptions. The perfect pass rating. Literally a perfect pass rating, right? And so it got me to thinking about those individuals out there who were questioning how good Lamar Jackson really is. Because there's some people who have said over the last two years, they've said, I don't believe that Lamar Jackson is a great pocket passer. 
if you're still doubting Lamar Jackson as a pocket passer, I'm no longer going to talk football with you. It's some things I'm no longer arguing about. I'm just not. I, I'm, I'm not. I, NBA, I'm not a LeBron fan whatsoever. But it is undeniable how great LeBron James is, and it's also undeniable that as great as other NBA players were, no one, no one prime lasted longer than LeBron James prime in the NBA. So I'm not arguing with people who try to take away from LeBron's greatness and try to critique LeBron. I'm not even arguing with you anymore because it's proven that LeBron James prime lasted longer than any other NBA great. Okay? And so I, it's certain things just in life that I'm not arguing with individuals over anymore. Also, it's proven data that children in homes, when they grow up with the father in the household, it's proven data that those children usually have successful lives. So don't tell me that a, a, a single mother by herself is better than having a father in the household. That's how I feel about Lamar Jackson now. That's how I feel about Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson, as a pure pocket passer, is one of the best quarterbacks, not only in the AFC, but in the NFL overall. You look at Lamar Jackson's impact on the Baltimore Ravens. This is since 2018. With Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens are 62 and 24. Without Lamar Jackson, they're 4 and 8. With Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens average 28 points per game. Without Lamar Jackson, they average 17 points per game. With Lamar Jackson, the Ravens' passer rating as a team is 95.2. Without Lamar Jackson, it's 70.0. Folks, at some point, we have to acknowledge and understand who the real MVP is in the NFL. And the real NFL MVP has stood up in these last two weeks and two big-time games against the 49ers on Christmas and against the Dolphins, Lamar Jackson, the real NFL MVP, has not only played at an elite level, but the NFL MVP race is officially over. It's over. All the Brock Purdy is the MVP and Dak Prescott. Give me a break. Lamar Jackson is the NFL MVP. And I said this after the Ravens beat the 49ers on Christmas. We watched in real time the difference between a game manager and a game changer. Lamar Jackson is a game changer. And Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens should be Super Bowl favorites. And they should be the favorites to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. He's playing better this year than Patrick Mahomes. He's playing better this year than Josh Allen. And he was playing better this year than Joe Burrow before Joe Burrow 
had a season-ending injury. He's different. He's different. And I, I feel like the only questions about Lamar Jackson that remain is how will Lamar Jackson perform in the playoffs? And I look at Lamar Jackson's numbers in the playoffs. They're not great. In the playoffs, Lamar Jackson, he has four total touchdowns, seven interceptions. He averages 92 rushing yards per game, 225 passing yards per game, completing 56% of his passes. His record as a quarterback in the playoffs is 1-3, and, and his team points per game in the playoffs are 13. So he has to get better in the playoffs. We know that. Like, that's the only question you can have when it comes to Lamar Jackson. How will Lamar Jackson perform in the postseason? But besides that, Lamar Jackson has proven that he is not only the franchise quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens, but he's the best quarterback right now in the NFL. And he's on his way to winning his second NFL MVP. So the MVP is officially over. The race, it's, it's done. Lamar Jackson, he damn well and sure should win NFL MVP. And in the playoffs, the Ravens, they're going to be the number one seed. So the road to the Super Bowl is going to have to go through Baltimore. It's going to have to go through Baltimore. But the Ravens do have a lot of pressure. They got a lot of pressure this year because this is the year for Lamar to get to the Super Bowl. Like, this, the floodgates have opened up for Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens to get to the Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes and his receivers can't get on the same page. Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills, they're inconsistent. There's no Joe Burrow to have to worry about in the AFC. So this should be the year where Lamar and the Ravens get to a Super Bowl. The only team I would say the Ravens have to worry about in the AFC, as crazy as it sounds, is the Cleveland Browns. Because I believe the, the Baltimore Ravens, they don't want to see the Cleveland Browns in the playoffs, folks. They don't. They don't, want to, they don't want no parts of having to play the Cleveland Browns. Because I think the Cleveland Browns could beat the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore in the playoffs. But, again, Lamar Jackson is the NFL MVP. And the Ravens should be the favorites to come out of the AFC and represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. They're the best team right now in pro football. And Lamar Jackson is the best quarterback in pro football. Everybody go follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Be right back. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports. We're live on the Worldwide Sports Network. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. I want to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles as we finish up the show this afternoon. As the Arizona Cardinals beat the Philadelphia Eagles 35 to 31 in week 17 at Lincoln Financial Field. And after the game, A.J. Brown, he didn't speak with reporters. 
he basically just left the facility, didn't speak with reporters, and he did. He told reporters, though, he said it has nothing to do with you guys. He just didn't want to talk after the Eagles 35-31 to 31 loss to the Arizona Cardinals. And so Philadelphia Eagles head coach Nick Sirianni, he spoke about A.J. Brown, and he said, quote, we're all frustrated when they asked Sirianni about his wide receiver in A.J. Brown. So when I think about the Philadelphia Eagles, the way that the Philadelphia Eagles are currently playing right now, it's a possibility. Yes, it's a possibility that the Philadelphia Eagles could be one and done in the playoffs. This Philadelphia Eagles team, they have been god-awful, especially from a defensive standpoint. I'm looking at the Philadelphia Eagles. This is since week 13. Because I'm going to talk about A.J. Brown here shortly before we get out of here. But this is the Eagles defense since week 13. Defensively, the Eagles, they are giving up 31 points per game. That's ranked 31st in the NFL. They are giving up 378 yards per game. That's ranked 29th in the NFL. This is since week 13 now. They third down percentage. They give up 49% on third downs. That's ranked 31st in the NFL. And red zone touchdown percentage, it's 75. That's ranked 31st in the NFL. And during that span, the Eagles are 1-4. Now remember, this is an Eagles football team that made a change at defensive coordinator after week 14. Remember, remember they had decide weeks 1 through 14 as their defensive coordinator. And then the Eagles decided to transition to Matt Patricia. And Matt Patricia, he's been the defensive coordinator since week 15, and they haven't gotten much better. This is the Eagles defensive ranks by coordinator. They gave they this is ranks in the NFL. They were ranked 28th in points per game given up under Desai. They're ranked 25th under Patricia. They were ranked 28th in passing yards per game under Desai. Under Patricia, they're ranked 10th. So they've gotten a little bit better against the pass. They were actually better against the run under Desai. They they were ranked 6th in the NFL in rushing yards per game. And under Matt Patricia, they're ranked 28th. So as much as everyone wants to talk about Jalen Hurts and how the Eagles offense hasn't been the same, the reason why the Philadelphia Eagles are 1-4 since week 13 is because of their defense. They allowed Kyler Murray to literally, literally march up and down the field Sunday afternoon at Lincoln Financial Field. The Arizona Cardinals, for the game, they had 221 rushing yards, 228 passing yards, 449 total yards for the game. Kyler Murray looked like an elite quarterback. He really, really looked like an elite quarterback. And I believe Kyler Murray can play, but I haven't seen the Cardinals look this great offensively all season long until they played the Philadelphia Eagles. Until they played the Philadelphia Eagles. So they have to get better defensively. Now, I know Jalen Hurts, he's injured. 
at, at the quarterback position for the season, he got 23 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, 3,803 passing yards. He's completing 66% of his passes. But I'm not so sure that Jalen Hurts is good enough to overcome the deficiencies on this Eagles football team right now. And also offensively, before I get out of here, one more thing I want to say, and I understand his frustrations, they need to get the football to A.J. Brown. You look at A.J. Brown and his targets this season. Weeks 1 through 9, he had 92 targets. Weeks 11 through 17, he had 65 targets. Weeks 1 through 9, A.J. Brown, 67 receptions. Weeks 11 through 17, 38 receptions. Weeks 1 through 9, 1,005 receiving yards. Weeks 11 through 17, 442 receiving yards. As I was once told by a wise man, keep it simple, stupid. Get the football to your best players. At this time of year, you can't worry about drawing up plays at key moments in games. You got to draw up plays for specific players at key moments in football games. That's the key right now. The Eagles should be getting the ball to A.J. Brown. I hate to see Devontae Smith go out with that ankle injury, but it's a great possibility that this Philadelphia Eagles team could be one and done in the playoffs. And right now, they're probably going to play the winner of the NFC South, whether it's the Buccaneers or the Falcons or the Saints. And they could lose that game the way their defense is currently playing. They could lose that game. And again, Jalen Hurts is injured. They're not, they're not saying this, but we all know Jalen Hurts is injured. But I, I'm worried about this Philadelphia Eagles football team, and as we head into the postseason, they are the team that could be one and done in the NFC. I trust the Cowboys right now more than I trust the Eagles. I trust the 49ers right now more than I trust the Eagles, and I trust the Lions more right now than I trust the Eagles. And even if they beat the winner of the NFC South in the wild card weekend of the playoffs. They'll either have to go to Dallas, go to Detroit, or go to San Francisco in the divisional round of the playoffs, and they'll lose that game. But Eagles, it's, it's really a it's big-time trouble right now in the city of brotherly love. It's not so brotherly right now. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Make sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at these guys no sports. Everybody enjoy NFL Week 18. I'll go live Sunday morning, and I'll give my NFL Week 18 wise picks. Enjoy these big-time matchups in the NFL. I'll be back on next week previewing the playoffs. Have a great weekend, everybody. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.